We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm back. We're here. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome back to the Corner Podcast. It's been forever. By now, you already know it's Kel Dansby with Andreas Hale. Possibly the two busiest men you guys know, but we always got time for you. Rolling out the podcast again. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Everyone's hitting us up 
on social media, like what happened, where have you guys been? We'll talk about all that. Trust me, we're here for you. McGregor Mayweather's picking up. We ain't going to leave you guys stranded. We didn't go anywhere. We're still here bringing you guys the fire. And now every week, we kind of got stuff worked out. We got a good time worked out. We're actually going to be on schedule. It's been a while. So, Dre, let's start off with you. You took the world tour. Yeah, man. I mean, I took a little vacation. Uh, Champions is no longer around. So, um, you know, the wife and I, we took the fam. We went to D.C. Uh, went had covered Comic-Con a few weeks ago. Uh, I took my nephew to his first Comic-Con, which was a pretty amazing experience to watch him um, being something that I wanted to go. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go to stuff like that. So I got the opportunity to take him and you know, he met like Willie Mack when I interviewed him for Lucha Underground. He, he, I mean, he had a good time, man. So it's been a lot of traveling, um, but I'm back, you know, and it's, uh, it's back to business, man. You were working while out there? Comic-Con, yes. D.C., no. D.C., I went to the African-American Museum twice. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and it's, it's literally one of those things like you go and you can't get through it on your first try. Like you have to come back a second day. Um, and if you can get in, because it's like it's so in demand, but... DC, no, it was no, not really a lot of work in there. I mean, I did a little bit of stuff here and there. I covered 214 um, from home for Yahoo. But for the most part, man, it was just like I was traveling and, you know, enjoy, trying to enjoy life, man. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I haven't been to DC in forever. Um, but I did just watch Birth of a Nation. So. Oh. That shit was as good as you said it was. I'm glad, like, now it's past, like, the whole, you know, scandal around Homeboy who made it and all that. I just sat down. I watched it for what it was. That shit was incredible. Yeah, I thought it was great. A lot of people said it was um, subpar, but... Really? Man, like, I, yeah, it was shortened. Like, the end was rushed a bit, but it didn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I thought the story needed to be told. You know, some people didn't like how it was directed or that acting or what have you i I thought it was a good movie so yo i like it really so that was dope um what else have i done my two weeks away i went to ufc 214 in la so i was in the building that was a cool trip always like going to la um it was fun came back you know just did summer league did a ton of stuff i'm doing high school football coverage for my local station the job i got over here so I've been swamped, too. It's been hard for us to kind of get our schedules together. And the people, listen, man, y'all got to understand, we here for y'all. Hit us up on Twitter if you got to know what's up. We still here. We'll still talk on Twitter and all that. But uh, had to take a quick little uh, woosah break. Andreas hasn't been, what, what? This is probably the least you've had to work in a decade I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, always look, look, even when I am working, I always have stretches where I take a vacation because I learned that several years ago with my wife was like, look, you can't keep working. You have to decompress and take a vacation. So usually I take a cruise or I go out of the country or something like that. But, you know, this was something uh, we had already decided we were going to do. Comic-Con was, you know, more of a work trip. But, um, you know, I spend time with my pops. But, yeah, man, it's like. You got to unplug and you got to refresh and, and, and get back into the mix. Um, but you got to have a recharged battery. I learned that you drain yourself really quick when you work too much. So the DC trip was good. Uh, you know, Comic-Con was, I mean, regardless of working at Comic-Con, Comic-Con was fun. You know what I'm saying? Like you get to see like all these movies and comic books and meeting a bunch of people and interviewing viewing people and 
um, favorite, you know, all your favorite comic books. And then, you know, I bought my nephew a bunch of stuff and it, that was just great. But, uh, yeah, man, it's like now you get back, um, and you get, you get right back to it, right, right back into the mix. Cause we got a big ass fight coming up in two weeks. Before we even touch on that, how the hell you skip over the part of being backstage with Kendrick? Oh, I know, look it. <laughs> you just try to play it cool, like, oh man, that was just like a, a regular Saturday. You backstage I mean, chopping it up with Kung Fu <laughs> Kenny, you just skip right over it. I mean, look, that that's that's people will be like, oh well, you know, blah, you didn't do an interview. No, I didn't. Like people that have listened to the podcast, people have known me that I've I've known Kendrick since I worked at BT before way before Kendrick blew up. And um I told a little story about it on my Facebook page, which I rarely use, but you know, it was one of them days that we they were in town. Uh, I talked to Top Dog, which is which I found out over the years that nobody really talks to Top Dog. So when I say that, people are like, "You actually talk to him?" I'm like, yeah, he's a big boxing fan. <laughs> um, and that's how I mean, long like to make the story a long story short, we met in 2008 when he brought J Rock to my office, and we were talking about West Coast hip hop. I like J Rock's music. He played Kendrick stuff for me when he was just K Dot. I told him. Yo, this kid's amazing, but he's never going to make it because he's too dope. And I laughed. And I was like, anything that I like doesn't make it. This is 2008. This is like before, right before the blog started exploding. Um, he, I had a, a, a towel of, I think it was it was Mayweather Hatton. I had like a promo towel. He's like, you like boxing? I was like, yeah, I cover it. Um, and we just, we've always been, like, we always talk boxing. Like, we were talking about the Lomachenko fight. Like, I was watching it on my phone at the Kendrick show. And we were talking about <laughs> So yeah, I got, you know, I went, you know, after the show, went back there. Um, shout out to that whole team, Rhett One, Dave Free, who wasn't there that week, um, and obviously Top Dog, and then you know Kendrick came back, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't get to talk to Kendrick as much as, as I used to because he's just super busy. But interestingly enough, Dana White was at the show, which was uh, that's crazy. Dana's yeah, everywhere Dana, though, everywhere. Dana's in the front row, so. Top Dog comes down and, you know, which I know. Jermaine Dupree was at the show. I think I saw Ebro at the show. Um, it, it, it was a lot of people at this show, the Vegas stop. But uh, Top Dog comes down and he we're talking and he's like, yo, Dana's here. Let's go say what's up. I'm like, OK. So <laughs> we walk we walk through the backstage. It's, this is in the middle of Kendrick's performance. Kendrick's performing Mad City. So we walk backstage and we walk like all the way around and we walk to the pit. And Top Dog slaps up Dana White. They was like, what's up, bro? And I'm like, this is so weird. <laughs> like, yo, this is so weird watching Dana and Top Dog have a conversation. So after the show, uh, Dana and his kids were backstage. I was back there. Um, and Kendrick comes back there. I haven't seen, the last time I saw Kendrick was probably when I produced the Reebok commercial for his sneakers. And, uh, and I hadn't seen him since then. And I thought, I figured he was tired. He was with his fiance. And, you know, he, he daps up Dana, he rolls up, and he's like, yo, and he gives me one of those long hug daps. And Dana looks, and Dana recognizes now that I'm in the room. Like, I think he only knows me from covering MMA. But he looks at me like, why are you in here? And, <laughs> you know, he's like, what are you doing here? Don't you cover fights? Like, shouldn't you be covering UFC Mexico City? And, like, nah. And we, me and Kendra's, like, having a conversation just about music. And, like, we talked about just a bunch of stuff. And, I mean, those folks, I mean, they'll always be cool cool with me and they've always taken care of me so i mean that was an interesting part of the weekend man it's just it's great to see how far he's come as an artist because i always wondered like 
you know, I have friends in this industry, very few of them. I don't have a lot of friends. And, and I wouldn't even necessarily ask <coughs> Kendrick as a friend. I would say that Kendrick somebody that I've known. Top Dog is more of a friend, and we have a pretty de- good friendship because we talk pretty often. Um, Kendrick is when it comes around. So to see that they've always, you know, acknowledged me and, and taken care of me, and, you know, Kendrick was like, <laughs> I mean, the joint where I wrote about, you know, if, if Kendrick was dead, he'd be one of the goats. He, he was like, yo, that shit. He was like, I'm glad you said that. He was like, that was really strong. And I've, those are the moments that make what you're doing feel like it's worth it. You know what I'm saying? But the concert was dope. It's amazing seeing like 10,000 white kids jump up and down to uh, Mad City. But <laughs> it's, it is, that's just part of the weekend, man. It's part, it's part of the course of, of what I do. And I, I usually don't talk about it publicly a lot, but you know, it's not. I don't think there's that many people that listen to this podcast that really give a shit. So we we'll talk about it. Here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all those white kids knew every word to King Kunta. They did. He performed King Kunta, and it was like they went nuts. That and um, they basically did be humble with no music. They just did it a cappella, which was kind of crazy to see. And and the funny thing was in this particular show, Kendrick goes. The I remember the first time I was here, I performed in front of 50 people. I, my my site, The Wellverse, was a co-sponsor for that show. And that was one of the first times where I actually formally interviewed Kendrick because he wasn't on when I knew him before. So I went backstage and he was like, he was like, you remember that show? He was like, do you have footage of that show? And we just started talking about the show. And people were like, he was here? Dog, he was here. There was like 50 people in the crowd. He performed in some spot called The Forbes. And there was like he he wore colorful socks, stood up on a stool because the stage wasn't big enough, and he's way too short. And he performed shit <laughs> off of Section Eighty. But he remembers to have a memory that deep where you remember shit. Uh, most artists don't do that. They don't talk about the first time they were here and actually remember it. He remembered, and he remembered details. He was like, we was in the back room. There was like mad people around asking me questions while you trying to do the interview. I was like, yep. He remembers this shit. It's crazy. So after you completely downplayed that, which is still super dope, and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, look it. Old man Andreas, just like ho-hum. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably ate brunch, and you would have mentioned that before the Kendrick concert. Did I eat brunch? Uh, you not, went to D.C. Not, and no brunch? Oh, I went to D.C. and had brunch. We had brunch on a cruise, so that was dope. But You went on a cruise in D.C.? Yeah, I mean, it's like, a, it's like a, a brunch cruise. It was like one of the last days we were there before we got on our flight back. Family just took a, a brunch cruise, which was decent. It was it was decent. I, it's crazy. I didn't have like the best brunch in DC. I had Ben's Chili Bowl, which I haven't had since the last time when I was out there when I did a speaking engagement when Obama was running for president. But uh, Ben's Chili Bowl is amazing. I, I ate good food. Like we ate we ate pretty good food. Um, but I didn't have it like the amazing brunch that people know me for now. So I have no recommendations. You have brunch on a boat. Like you're taking brunch levels to just new heights. Like, yo, you know what? I'm not even being stationary during brunch. Like it's if gotta... it don't move, I'm not on it. And it was, a, it was a, it's a good little brunch. But like I said, it wasn't nothing. My favorite brunch is still going to be Wilson's Creek Winery in Temecula. That's probably still my favorite brunch. And I didn't even have it when I went to San Diego. Um, I missed out on it this time. I was too busy with Comic-Con. But, yeah, man, I still do brunch, man. It's grown man stuff. I see you're doing brunch now as well. You finally adopted the strategy of being a grown man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 29 now, man. I can, I can do brunch and be, and be comfortable with it. That's that wisdom that comes at 29 years old. 
Yeah. I, listen, when I'm 30, gotcha. you never know. I, I might take a cruise when I'm 30. I can't swim and it scares the hell out of me, but I might go on a cruise. You should. Just it's worth your time. Enlighten myself a little bit. Um, what else have we missed, man? I feel like we've been gone forever. I mean, the time we had a podcast, I swear to God, Rihanna was still skinny. <laughs> like, there's now super that's, thick and super thick Rihanna and super thick Beyonce. Yeah, but Beyonce's had three kids. Bless um, their hearts too, cause she is woo. You know, I was never a huge fan of Beehive, but Beyonce, she can have all of it right now. Praise yeah. be, praise be, cause yo, she was in the little roller skating rink, and I was like, damn, she's super like Instagram model thick now. Don't even lose the baby weight. Like, don't don't do it. Yeah, that and that's the crazy thing about Beyonce too. Um, and I know people are like, why are y'all talking about Beyonce? But Beyonce was at one point she was thick when she was younger, and then it seems like when she ascended to stardom, she started getting skinnier to kind of like fit the mold of like a pop star. Well, now you know you're in your mid thirties. What's the point? Be thick. Yeah, I don't. You know, people appreciate that. You know, you don't have to appease. Uh, these people that want you to be real thin anymore, just be out there and, you know, that's the yam. Same with Rihanna. Rihanna just, she don't care anyway, but. Yeah. Thick Rihanna at the Carnival looking celebration, the the joint in Toronto or whatever. Oh, wow. That's yeah, crazy. Fair. Nah, we need to get an invite to OVO Fest. I, mean, I need to get an invite to OVO Fest. I'm sure you always got an open invite if you ever wanted to just pop up in Toronto. It'd be, I'd like it'd be to nice go. to, you know, to go and see the festivities. Drake had a dope show. It looked like, again, another year running. Uh, his set looked crazy. And then, you know, Thick Rihanna. I can't, I can't knock it. <laughs> yeah, Cardi it doesn't B seem like Toronto's having stage. a hard time. Cardi B came out rocking. BX stand up. Uh, we yeah. made it. Nikki, yo, Nikki had to be a little salty about that. I'm curious. Yeah. She, she, she ain't hot no more. She ain't the hottest. Yo, she's had, like, quiet as kept. She's had a very pretty, well, not very. She's had a pretty quiet and uh, relatively stale 2017. Yeah, I mean, she, what? The biggest thing that came out about Nicki Minaj is her getting dissed. If it wasn't yeah. for Remy, she'd be irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Yeah, so, you know, it's we'll a- see who's, who takes the throne in this the, the battle of these dope women MCs. My money's still on Rhapsody, but uh, we'll see what happens. People you like don't blow up. That's what I always say, man. I say uh, people that I like don't blow up. But, you know, every once in a while I hit a home run. So we'll see what happens. Um, outside of that, like you said, big fight coming up. Mayweather versus McGregor. Boxing match. Uh, man, has your mind changed? You had two weeks to go on vacation, to get away. Are you finally ready to come back and say, you know what? Connor has a shot. Hell no. Connor has. <laughs> Ain't shit changed. Like. <laughs> no, nothing's changed. Connor has absolutely no shot at winning this fight. I don't care what happens, the, the media tour, everything that's gone on, nothing is going to convince me. And actually, to be honest with you, the whole Pauly Malinazi situation has made it worse. Um, Do you think he really knocked down Pauly or was it a slip? I think it was a slip. I don't think, with headgear on, I don't see Conor McGregor knocking down Pauly Malinazi. I just I, don't see I would see say it. the same. Um, Pauly's face looked beat up, but he kind of bruises like a peach. And Arlovsky's face, though, in the background of that picture is the only thing that gave me doubt. Yeah. That's a genuine reaction. Arlovsky looked like, oh, shit. Like, it might have been the first punch Connor landed. And it may have put Paulie on his ass. Maybe that was the shock. Like, yo, he finally landed. 
It could be it. I mean, the way obviously we have to talk about it for the the last week. Paulie got aired out. Basically, <coughs> kind of tried to air out Paulie on some, you know, I knocked you down and tried to embarrass him as a sparring partner, and then. Uh, Paulie goes on the MMA hour and completely trashes McGregor's camp, calling him a dirtbag, and goes into great detail on what happened. Um, I think the the first thing for me to take away from it is if if all of this is true, and I have sources that say that can corroborate, I, and I can't reveal them, but that that at least seventy five percent of what Paulie said is true. The sparring for twelve rounds is absolutely true. What is Connor out here thinking? Because that's not going to help you fight Floyd Mayweather. Sparring with Paul Malignaggi, who's retired, who's basically coming off of his couch to spar with you, and you take him 12 rounds to try to make an example out of him, that's not helping you in a fight with Floyd Mayweather. I can't understand the logic in that. Like, why are you doing this? Muscle memory, right? You just get in shape. You you want to push your body against someone who has pushed their body 12 rounds. Worst comes to worst, you just know that guy's done it before, regardless of what level he's at now. But the problem is, is anybody, anybody, and I'm, I'm sure you've at least been to a couple of sparring sessions. I've been to multiple sparring sessions as long as I've covered boxing. Nobody spars the same opponent for 12 rounds. You always have a fresh body every three to four rounds. Correct. Because when you're in round nine and somebody fresh is sparring with you, that pushes you a lot harder than having somebody who's just as gassed as you are so it makes absolutely no sense to have paulie in there unless you're trying to make a point but what is the point that you're making if you're not if the film isn't coming out before the mayweather fight if nothing is coming out before the fight what is the point you're trying to make and i think dave Chappelle said it best that floyd is train floyd is training while connor is learning connor's still trying to learn how to box yeah and and for you to sit out here and try to make an example out of paulie who again 36 years old Past his, well past his prime. is He's been through a lot. But more importantly, he's coming off the couch as a Showtime analyst and, and thrown right into the fire to spar eight or 12 rounds. You're not gaining anything there. You know, and, and Paulie's never fought like Floyd. The well, only thing, like, like Floyd hits harder than Paulie. Yeah. So it's like, come on. Like, Paulie has seven knockouts in his career. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the Paulie thing, once again, if you're just competitive – the history they have, the shit they've talked to each other, you can kind of dap it up and be like, yo, come into my camp. But you don't forget that when you get the chance to hit someone in the face. Um, even Paulie said there was shit talking going back and forth as soon as they started boxing. Four rounds could have turned into eight, could have turned into 12 quick if, you, if you're running off at the mouth. So who but knows not... if someone else was supposed to jump in and Connor's just like, no, keep his ass in here. And we're but just going to run it. That's just... that's. Again, that's worse. You got you got a, an abbreviated camp, essentially an abbreviated camp to learn how to box. Why waste your time fighting Pauli Malignaggi? Like, not only is it bad because it doesn't really give you a sense of what it's going to be like to fight Floyd Mayweather, but you can hurt yourself by yeah. exerting yourself against one opponent, opponent trying to prove something. Like, there's so many things that are wrong. And again, Pauli doesn't fight like Floyd. You know, and I know that they said they got guys to emulate the shoulder roll. Look, you can go get Andre Berto to emulate the shoulder roll. The shit don't look right, and it don't work. Like, to, like that, it doesn't, like, whatever Conor is doing. And he's got inexperienced people as well. It's not like he's got a true boxing line. It's not but like that's, he called. That's Conor, though, right? Like, that's always been Conor. That's, that's why you're going to lose terribly. And that's why he that's, lost terribly, what, his first couple MMA fights gets choked out. And he's like, yo, we never did any groundwork. It took his camp time to learn how to wrestle, to learn how to, 
you know, do some jujitsu to get Connor to a point where he's not getting tapped out all damn time. But he, or taken he's down. He's stubborn. He's stubborn. Your he's going to ride with his camp. And UFC camps, he, he says it all the time. Hey, why don't you bring in other people? No. I, you know, I stay with my camp. I do this, things my way. It's just us. And it wins him a lot of fights. But not all his fights. The second Nate Diaz fight, he had to go out and get help. People that look like Nate. People that had the same skill set. He hasn't done that enough this time with Floyd. And I think his game plan is going to be the same it is in MMA, which is I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to go up to him. I'm going to try to impose my will. And that's not going to work either. Sometimes you have to adjust to the other person. Connor hates that. He visualizes what he's going to do, and he wants to control everything, control his destiny. Sometimes you, you have to be smart. You have to adjust. That's Mayweather's best, best attribute, right, is his ability to adjust to his opponent. Connor doesn't do that. And I think the, the most important thing that you said there is, you know, Connor visualizes things. Floyd visualizes nothing. And the best fighter in the world is, is the best fighter in the world because he doesn't come in there with, with a game plan. Because what happens when the shit don't work? Like, you know, Connor visualized knocking Jose Aldo out. Now, what if he missed that punch? Right? Then what happens? What is your strategy after that? And, and this is not saying. Like, you have a plan A, B, C, D. That's fine. Like, having plans, is, is it's fine to come in with a plan. But to be so reliant on one where your opponent relies on intuition and finding out what you want to do and what you're going to try to do and taking those weapons away from you. Like, if you've watched any Floyd Mayweather fight, it, it's like a computer. You're like, figuring out your tendencies, what you'd like to do. You know, I think um, when I interviewed Zab Judah a long time ago, Zab mentioned that... When you fight Floyd, it's like fighting a, a video game that's learning your tendencies, right? It's like it's starting to figure you out. Like Psycho Man is in the first Metal Gear Solid, if anybody remembers that. Like you had to unplug the controller and plug it into the different port to beat him because he knew what you were going to do next. <laughs> you, like that was probably one of the greatest boss battles ever in a video game. And Floyd is like that boss. Once he has you figured out, what are you going to do? And Connor's got a very limited skill set, so it's like he, he probably only has a few traps to set. And I think Paulie's very well-versed when he talks about traps. If you listen to MMA Hour, he talks about these things in great detail. Like, if you're going to set a trap, what happens when that trap doesn't work? Floyd's, Floyd gives you different looks. He never really fights the same. He moves differently. He fights to win rounds. He doesn't fight to win the fight. It's very weird. Like, he comes in there and he tries to figure out what you're doing and make sure he does enough to get that round and then get out of there. So against Connor, who's going to come out there and swing and look to knock his little pea head off and all these other things that he's talking about, when the, as the fight gets longer, you realize that nothing is working and frustration sets in. And Floyd's no light puncher. Everybody that ever interviewed has always said that Floyd, he's not like Golovkin, but it stings you. And if you take enough of them, you start to you know, your body starts to break down. And he does good work to the body, and his, his jab to the body takes the wind out your sails. What happens when Connor gets in the eighth and ninth rounds, which is essentially 27 minutes, which is longer than a five-round UFC fight? What happens when his, when his hands start to lower, when he starts breathing hard, and Mayweather's just sitting there looking at you like, I could still go another 10 to 12? Connor doesn't like when shit doesn't go his way. So when you're visualizing things and they don't go your way, what are you going to do? You're going to get fucked up. I think, one, I think he stays on a stool and quits before he gets fucked up. Um, he's not getting knocked out. Now, do I think Floyd, I, do I think he's selling the fight when he's like, yeah, you're going to leave on your back or on your face? Well, I, I do. 
I don't think Floyd's going to go and look for the knockout. I, I think Floyd appreciates the payday, and in his heart of hearts, he, he likes what, May, what McGregor has brought to this. So he's going to, I believe, kind of take it easy on him late in the fight. He'll dance around him. Maybe some, you know, rope, not rope and dope type shit, but, you know, some little flashy shit. Shuffle his feet, blah, blah, blah. I'm so, you know, take this jab. I'm still so fresh. But I don't think he tries to finish him. I think he, he just wants to get the hell out of there with his money, have his hand raised next to Connor, give him a hug like he gave Manny a hug, and said, good looks. I'm out. Because, honestly, Floyd could have washed Manny Pacquiao. He could have got him out of there. But he didn't. Manny, that fight, Manny, that fight looked horrible. Let alone not being able to touch Floyd. Floyd was able to hit him whenever he wanted. And Floyd let him stick around. Yeah, but I think the difference is is it's not up it's not necessarily up to Floyd. This is gonna sound weird to people. But it's not up to Floyd whether Connor gets knocked out. It's up to Connor if Connor <laughs> gets knocked out. Because the difference in the Pacquiao fight is Pacquiao's still dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. When Floyd realizes you're not dangerous anymore, that's when he opens up. And Pacquiao is still dangerous regardless of what round you're in. And you look at a lot of the fights that Floyd made with this kind of cruise to a victory. But the fight that I always go back to is the Ricky Hatton fight because Ricky made a very crucial mistake and ate a check hook. And then Floyd knew that there was nothing left and destroyed him. If Connor makes a crucial mistake or if Connor gets hit to the body and doubles over, Floyd's going to finish him. But it's up to Connor to make sure he doesn't show how worn he is. Like a seasoned boxer is going to figure this out. You know, Canelo kept coming at him 12 rounds regardless of what you thought about the canelo fight canelo didn't stop fighting madonna didn't stop fighting Cotto didn't stop fighting if connor lets mayweather get to him and stops fighting at any point floyd's going to finish him but it's up to connor like floyd's not coming here looking for a knockout if connor makes a brutal mistake over commits on a punch and floyd zaps him with a straight right hand and connor's you know start seeing stars but floyd's not gonna take his foot off the gas he's gonna go for the knockout but yeah. again it's it's what Floyd does best is he uses your aggression against you. Like you come in here like a bat out of hell trying to finish somebody, he's going to take advantage of that. But you know, like I, when I remember the the uh, what was it the Juan Manuel Marquez fight, I talked to Nacho Berestain at a roundtable before, and I asked Nacho, what happens when the greatest Mexican counterpuncher fights the great, arguably the greatest defensive fighter of all time? What do you tell your fighter when both of you you can't just stand there and look at him, right? Like you have to <laughs> fight. So somebody has make to make a move. And Nacho was like, "That is probably the best question that I heard today because that's the hard part. Like you can't expect Floyd to ever come at you. He, he waits for you, and he'll wait three minutes, six minutes. You can boo all you want. Floyd will land one punch and win the round, and, and that'll be it. <laughs> Connor doesn't have that kind of patience. Connor's not going to be patient enough to sit there and wait for Floyd to do something. He might talk, 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 and Floyd's just going to look at him. Floyd doesn't. This isn't a game, man. Like this isn't whatever Connor thinks this is. It's not. It's no, because once you get inside the ring, you revert back to what you know. And Floyd will right. do the same. They could be. You know, I, I think he doesn't get him out of there because I think Floyd has that respect. He's not coming for that. But like you said, if Connor doubles over, that muscle memory kicks in, and he could mollywaffle. Yeah. Just because you only know one way as a fighter. Yeah, and I fully expect that to happen. Like me, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I'd bet on Floyd by knockout late. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. I think Connor is is going to try to pace himself through this fight. It's not going to work, but he's going to try to pace himself and keep it respectable. Like he doesn't want to get annihilated. But if I was a betting man, because the odds are in favor for you to bet Floyd by knockout. 
I would take a, a cold, hard look at rounds eight and nine for Floyd to finish him off because that's, dude, that's that's the round where you, there's, there's two things that happen in the eighth and ninth round. One is if you're down six rounds, you know you need a knockout. Two, you've been in the fight long enough that your body is starting to change. Your body is, is not comp- doing the same thing that your mind wants it to because you're gassed. Yeah. So if these two things are happening in Connor's corner, whoever the hell is going to be in this corner says, Connor, you're down six to nothing. And it's like round eight and nine. This is the biggest mistake prone rounds. This is where Floyd is at his best. Like you look at all of his fights. You watch rounds eight and nine. You watch what he does, the work that he does. This is where I bet for a knockout. But. We'll see. We'll talk more about it as we get closer to the fight because that's we still what got a whole two weeks and we got a couple media days coming up too. Yeah, so we have those media workouts tomorrow and Friday. Um, this is being recorded on Wednesday, if you guys don't know. So we're gonna have that for our next show as well. So we'll bring you all the craziness that happens on those media workouts. But what you just touched on is something you led me right into the next thing. We saw that same scenario where you know what you may have a little confidence or energy in five and six. Seven, eight, and nine, you just hit the wall. And we saw that from Klitschko in the Anthony Joshua fight. And he had taken control of that fight. But his body broke down in the eighth and ninth, and he ended up, you know, getting knocked out. TKO, just because he couldn't control it. He ran out of gas. And then now he's retired. I'm a little pissed off because I wanted to see that here at T-Mobile in October. I thought it was a perfect rematch for Joshua to get a win, to come out to Vegas, to really stamp his name on American you know, soil and say, I'm the best heavyweight in the world. So it sucks that this fell by the wayside and Klitschko hung him up. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, I was looking forward to it as well. I would love to see Anthony Joshua and Klitschko in Vegas. However, I completely understand the Klitschko's decision here. You're 42 years old. Um, you've lost back-to-back fights. And your mind says that you could beat Anthony Joshua. And this is kind of the same thing with Timothy Bradley, who recently retired. Now we have Juan Manuel Marquez, who's announced his retirement, even though he hasn't fought in like two and a half years. But there comes a point where you just realize, I don't really need this anymore. Like, what is Klitschko really fighting for? Because let's just say you beat Joshua. Then you got to fight the fucker again. <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's when you think, like, I don't really want it that bad. I'm financially well off. Um, you see these NFL CTE reports or whatever, you know, the Ian McCall interview the other day on the MMA hour, he's talking about his, his mental issues and you start thinking like, what am I going to do this for? Yeah. So that Benoit comparison is, whew. Whenever yeah, you start thinking about going Benoit, that's yeah, definitely time to get help. The stuff is deep. So in, in Klitschko's case, I understand like, why, why do this again? I mean, shit, you didn't win the last fight. And if that uppercut didn't make you retire from boxing, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could get hit with way worse. Like, that's one of the most brutal uppercuts, again, since I think Tyson and Buster Douglas. Um, but that that's life-changing stuff. And Klitschko doesn't need this anymore. I mean, how much more money can you make? And why do you want to put your health on the line? Yeah, so just go I'll, lay up next to Hayden and chill. Yeah, I respect it. I, you know, I'm happy for him. Um, and, dude, honestly, it's, just, it's good for the heavyweight division. I, I don't want to see any more Klitschkos in the heavyweight division. I'm good. I'm good. They took the they took the heavyweight division overseas with them. Uh, boxing as a whole suffered, and not because of the Klitschko's, but there was no competition for those two guys. Um, Vitaly and Vladimir, you know, they dominated for over a decade. So it's good to have some fresh blood here between Joshua Wilder. Um, you know, I don't know if Tyson Fury will ever get his shit back together. You got Luis Ortiz. So maybe the heavyweight division, you know, I think Joshua looks like a guy who wants to fight in the States. So between him and Wilder and some of these other guys, Joseph Parker, it's like maybe we can get some rejuvenation in this division. We just want it to be competitive, right? That's it. 
Um, talking about a fighter that I'm sure you're not happy with, Adrian Broner came out and no, not did surprised. nothing, nothing at all against Garcia and then said that he was chasing him around all day. I believe he said Coyote versus Roadrunner. Yes, he, he called it the, the Roadrunner. And, dude, come on, man. I said this was going to happen, didn't I? Like, I was very explicit in how I said this fight was going to go. I said Adrian Broner fights one way. He doesn't punch in between, you know, when, when other people are throwing. He has, two, he has two versions. He either goes on offense or he goes on defense. Mikey Garcia is a smart boxer. And what did Adrian Broner do? Threw one or two punches around, allowed a smaller man to walk him down. He just looked bad. Yo, he's never improved. So this fight went exactly how I thought it was going to go. And, you know, kudos to Mikey Garcia for putting on an excellent performance. But look, man, Adrian, you can make all the excuses, but I, you should go fishing for them dollar bills that you burnt up and threw in the toilet bowl because you're going to need them eventually. This, your boxing career is nearing its end. Oh, I don't know about that. He does well enough to not get knocked out by elite fighters and still beat the mediocre ones. You can have a long career if you do that and you talk. Like I said, he's still a very good B-side. I believe right after that fight, you tweeted, you know what? I still want to see him versus Pacquiao. I do. I, I, I do want to see him versus numbers. Pacquiao. You put that on ESPN, doing numbers. So the guy still has appeal. Well... But that's that's the thing. Like, I want to see Pacquiao fight him, but there's nobody else I want to see Adrian Broner fight. Like, if you look at Adrian Broner as a guy who wants wanted to be the next Floyd Mayweather or the big box office attraction, this losing shit's going to eventually get to him. And if it hasn't already, you just lost to a guy, a smaller fighter, Mikey Garcia, who came up in weight and pretty much dominated you for 12 rounds. You got bullied by Sean Porter. Like, you can only fight mediocre guys for so long, and fans are only going to buy into your shit for so long. Because the ultimate thing here, like, to be Floyd Mayweather, you have to win. And it, Broner doesn't win. So, I, if it ain't Pacquiao, who would you want to see Adrian Broner fight? Like, what in, what fight interests you, uh, uh, unless it's a guy coming up? Like, dude, Broner, unless it's like... I mean, give me Pacquiao, give me Crawford, give me, um, man, I, Danny Garcia why do, needs a, back, a bounce back fight. But why do you want the, the, here's my point. Why do you want to see him in any of those fights? You don't want you don't think he's going to win any of those fights, right? No. Exactly. That's what the point I'm making. Like Broner's career as a credible threat. He's a gatekeeper now. He's a full-blown gatekeeper. And I don't even know what gates he keeps, but that's <laughs> what he is. Cuz he the, the the talent like he's he's just not good, dude. He's just not good enough. It's his fault. Oh well. <laughs> it is, it is, and it's our time to move on to UFC. Once again, it's a return episode. We got three weeks of stuff, no commercials, no nothing. We're going straight through. So UFC 214, we were separate. This is probably the first fight we weren't around each other to watch in like a year. Because yeah. at least there was like champions. We had the chat. We covered stuff together. We've been at the fights. It's been a second. So... You had the perspective of not being in the arena. I was in the arena. You know, I always get caught up by the hype around the situation when I'm there. I feel in different ways. Um, is John Jones now, without question, the best ever? Um, without right now, question. Without question, no, not without question. There's, there's going to be a question. The only reason why that there is a question is because he's still relatively young. I liken John Jones to Roy Jones in the sense that 
when Roy Jones was at his best, he, people were saying that he was the best thing they've ever seen in a boxing ring. John Jones' career is not over yet. And that's the only thing that's keeping him away because arguably he's the greatest fighter we've ever seen. I can't say without question. But, <coughs> I, I, but right now, if you ask me who's the greatest fighter I've ever seen, it's John Jones. Um, Fedor was the greatest heavyweight we ever seen. Anderson Silva's run was one of the greatest that we've ever seen. But John Jones is he hasn't completed yet. He could end like Fedor. He could end like Anderson Silva. That'll change a lot of people's perspective. Um, but the man, he's I mean, he's he's a freak. He's a freak. He's always been one of the greatest. No matter what you think about the man, the fighter is unreal. The problem is is that you know we have to see what happens if he goes up to heavyweight. What happens there? Um, he never, you know, the rematch of Alexander Gustafson, it's still lingering. There's always going to be so, a few questions, but, I mean, the performance was excellent. Even yeah. though Cormier even give, gave him some problems in the fight, he still knocked him out. Yeah, well, I mean, he called shot. that shot three years ago, right? Yeah, well, yeah. He knew, he, like, that's, and that's what I talk about. When you watch guys who study the fight game and, and fight off of intuition as well, John Jones is one of those guys. Like, to notice something that Cormier has done for years and take advantage of it. And, and much credit has to go to Mike Winklejohn and Greg Jackson as well, master game planners. But to call that shot that, that, that Cormier dips his head and clock him with that, that, that left kick, yo, it was a thing of beauty. And Cormier fought a great fight up until that point. But he just can't. He's, he's Charles Barkley. He's Patrick Ewan. He's everybody <laughs> that lived in the shadow with Jordan. That's who Daniel Cormier is. Well, at least he got his title. He's, he's Hakeem Olajuwon. Because you know what? Jordan may have retired for two years, but I got mine. So you guys going to say whatever the yeah, hell you want. Sure. Like, you can't take this title away. That's who he is. He's Elijah Wan. Where he's just like, you know what? All right, cool. Like, you say, put an asterisk if you want next week. Oh, if Jordan was here, he would have won eight straight. He wasn't. So I got this title. Yeah. Yeah, so more power to John. I don't know what happens next. All this rumor about him fighting... Brock Lesnar is still kind of silly. You what to me. happens next? Lesnar versus John Jones. John Jones talking about showing up at SummerSlam, which I'm watching at your crib. Self invite. <laughs> <laughs> I just look, man. I mean, do I think the Brock Lesnar match fight will eventually happen? Yeah, I don't. I, I think that they're they've they're kind of set planted the seeds for it. Just some of the particulars are what makes me curious about it. The December thing. And then the fact that the WWE is now teasing this whole if Lesnar loses at SummerSlam. I don't think Lesnar's going to lose at SummerSlam because they mentioned this. Unless they're just really being like oblivious and thinking like kids are not like nobody's watching this and the UFC at the same time. So we can plant this to get Brock away from wrestling. But I think once the, the WWE buys into something that's out there, they usually go against it. So I don't think Brock is going to lose at SummerSlam. Um but I, I kind of hope he does, but I don't think he is. Oh, he's going to drop I, the belt to Roman Reigns because it's Roman Reigns. I, see, I don't know. I don't know if they're ready. To, I, I don't. We'll talk about that when we get to the WWE part of this because there's a lot about WWE to talk about. Plus G one, but um, yeah, man, John Jones, best fighter in the world right now. Um, I don't know who the hell is going to beat him. I, I have know. no clue. We'll, we'll see if uh, Brock is that guy eventually let's go down rest of card tyron woodley versus damian maya tyron woodley you blink and he's the most boring fighter in the ufc according to dana white it's uh, bullshit he got passed up on the gsp fight now gsp bisping which i always said was going to happen he never had plans to fight woodley um that power is real he almost got knocked out by big rig big rig does not hit like Woodley. 
So yeah, I, I, he was not taking that. Bisping's the easiest champion to unthrone. It's, it's like true. cake. It, everyone wanted that, and GSP used his leverage to hit the jackpot. So there's no reason not to fight, not to fight Bisping. Woodley's a tougher fighter than Bisping. Why would you do that? So GSP knew what he was doing. He got the fight. Woodley made it easy on him. But honestly, how else do you beat Damian Maya? I, I wish Dana That's... White. I I wanted to stay and ask Dana White that, but Dana White was in and out on that press conference, um, and I was writing my article. But I wanted to ask him, since you think it was boring, how else do you beat Damian Maya? Please enlighten us. Yeah, dude, I got a, I got a lot of problems with how Dana handled this. I mean, for one, Tyron Woodley has fought Robbie Lawler, Wonder Boy twice, Damian Maya, all top guys. Like, unquestionably, the top guys in the welterweight division. He knocked out Robbie Lawler. He had a pretty exciting fight the first time in Wonderboy. And then he strategically outpointed him after the draw um, in the rematch, which was boring. But so are Floyd Mayweather fights. And here's my point. He fought Damian Maya, who is, without a doubt, the most dangerous submission artist we have ever seen in MMA in terms of the jujitsu practitioner. He... And I, I called the shot because I said, Tyron Woodley is a, an exceptional wrestler. Damian Maia can't wrestle. He has that, you know, he can, he can, he can drag you down, but he's not like a, he's not a shoot guy. And he doesn't really, the only, the only mistake that Woodley can make is keeping his back against the cage, which he did at some points. But then after that, he just shrugged off all of his attempts. What was Willie supposed to do at this point? I know people say he you want him to fight and to knock him out, but come on, dude. He stuffed, what is it, 24 takedown attempts? Now, look, if you don't like it, right, if you're Dana White and you say, I don't like what Woodley did, you must not like what GSP did against Nick Diaz. What he does against everyone. <laughs> like, can we, can we just be honest here? GSP doesn't have exciting fights unless somebody else makes him exciting. Carl's kind of kicked him upside the head, made it exciting. Um, him and Jake Shields had like a jab fest. GSP doesn't have exciting fights. Just call a spade a spade and say, I just like GSP better and I want him to have a title shot against Bisping so he can beat. Because Woodley will probably fuck GSP up. Yeah. So Don't the ruin point, the meal ticket. We need yeah, stars. So, we need GSP with a belt. And, and but my biggest issue was how it was handled. Don't have your welterweight champion go out there um, and promise him a title shot, you know, a title defense, not even a title shot, a title defense against one of the most popular MFA fighters in history. And have him speak on it after his fight, only to not communicate with him and take it away from him at a press conference. Probably could have been more of a man than yeah. You could have been more of a man than that, and told Tyron Woodley backstage after his fight, "This is what's going to happen." Dana White operates on emotion and passion, so I get why this happened. But it's embarrassing to run down your welterweight champion, like, and you you just don't do that. You don't do that to that man because again. He, he Woodley's not turning down fights. Woodley was smart. Remember, you remember when he sat on the bench for all those years? And I was even critical of sit, him sitting on the sidelines waiting for his title shot. Yeah. But he did what he needed to do, and he got the he gets the job done. Much like Floyd Mayweather, he does what he has to do, gets the job done, and then he gets on the mic and says, "I'm the best in the world." There's there's a there's a method to Woodley's madness. We'll see if so, it sells because that's the only thing missing. That's why right. he wanted a GSP fight. He wanted big money. Dana well, the, the, literally just hurt his chances of having big money. So, 
And, and that's the problem with, you know, Mayweather has his own promoter versus Tyron Woodley's Dana White's your promoter. And when your own promoter is running you down and telling you that you're boring and you're not exciting and who wants to pay to see him fight again, well, of course he's not going to get a big money fight because you're his promoter. Yeah. Like, Woodley has to be his own best promoter. I was disgusted by the whole thing. And, you know, some people are like, is there some racial undertones there? Could be because he, I don't think Dana ever really enjoyed the fact that Woodley said that he wasn't marketed because he was black. And I don't think Dana's like an out-and-out racist. A lot of people say stupid shit like Dana's a ra- like an out-and-out racist. It's not that. But there are underlying things that when you notice and you pay attention, yeah, Woodley, Mighty Mouse, why aren't these guys getting pushed? Why aren't they getting pushed to the urban market? There, there is some things that they're missing the bus on here. But then you go out there and you just run them down at a press conference. And it's like, come on, man. What do you expect to happen? Yeah, it's not not the way to go. So with that being said, we had a wash in the next fight. Cyborg finally has a title. She actually has some opponents, it looks like. She has some options. Where the hell did a 145-pound division come from? Now we're holding polls. There's four different women she can fight. Um, Holly Holm seems to be interested in a fight, which this should have been that one. In all honesty, Holly should have fought her now, but whatever. They gave Holly a cupcake fight so she wouldn't have a, a ton of losses in a row. And then now we're, we're building up the excitement again. At least people can watch. People can say, okay, she didn't get to you know, fight uh, Ronda Rousey, but she can fight the person who kicked Ronda Rousey his head off. And, and Cyborg can kind of build that mystique and, and build the division. This was a huge fight for women. I think it kind of went under the radar with a lot of the John Jones stuff and everything else. But, man, I can't wait to see Cyborg fight again. Yeah, me too. It's, I don't necessarily know if Holly's going to take that fight. Uh, I feel like... Oh, um, you know, let's hold let's hold her feet to the fire over some shit that she got popped and got cleared of. And then, yeah, she failed the drug test before. But you know who else failed multiple drug tests? Vitor Belfort, Alistair Overeem. Like, and the list goes <laughs> on and on. Like, fighters fight failed Lesner, drug tests. Like, he's cyborg, about to get a yeah. major cash out. John Jones. I mean, come on, guys. Like, people who, if you don't, if, ladies, if you don't want to fight Cyborg because you think you she's going to end your career just say that stop using these excuses that she failed a drug test 10 years ago or eight years or however long ago it was you have asada and if they find something on her she'll get flagged if she and if you're that tough you just tough your way through it i mean mark hunt fought a juiced up brock lesnar right and that wasn't fair to mark hunt but in cyborg's case like cyborg hasn't been popped for anything like she got flagged but they cleared her that shit and everything else she's just been beating up people so just take your L. That's all it is. Take your L. And if that's going to be Holly Holm, I'm pretty sure Kat Zagano's going to take that fight. That's not bad. Kat can... Listen, Tanya looked good, even in the loss. She came out tough. She lasted longer than most against Cyborg. She didn't look... She didn't come off looking bad at all. Late replacement, left respectably. No. It was cool. Um, we got Robbie Lawler versus Cowboy. It was a good fight, right? I don't have... Yeah, it was a good fight. Not, it was funny because it was good. Destruction, but it was good. Yeah, I see. I thought I thought that fight was going to be. Um, it's hard to say because it's like it's unfair because I had unfair expectations. Like I was like, oh, it's going to be the fight of the year, and then I thought about. It, I was like, no, it's not because we're expecting it to be fight of the year. So I it wanted wasn't it to be, be five rounds though. Five rounds would have really put it over the top. Yeah, and I was still kind of salty because we didn't get it in Vegas, but um, <laughs> it was, you know, uh, maybe if they do Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, I think it'd be. I don't want to say it's stupid, but I don't feel like it's necessary to put Robbie back in that fight right well, now. Well, Woodley's injured now, so... Well, yeah, he's going to be benched, and I feel like Robbie will probably fight 
like Rafael dos Anjos or somebody like that. Um, Robbie should fight Wonder Boy. Boy, he should. And I kind of think that Wonder should Boy be a number one contender. Even though Woodley has no, you know, he doesn't want to fight Wonder Boy for a third time because the last one was so boring and they kind of knew each other. But Wonder Boy is still up there. He's beat damn near everyone else in the division you can beat. Why not? Yeah. Number yeah. one contenders match. Like, let's run it. Um, we had Ozdemir beating, beating the brakes off of Jimmy Manawa. Called it. Uh, dude, I, there were a <laughs> bunch of people that sat there and were like, yo, Jimmy, like, oh, oh Dismir, he's, he's in over his head against Manawa. I was like, look, light heavyweight division is very thin. <coughs> if, you hit, if you have technique and you can hit hard, you'll be good. So Manawa went in there like a fool and got clobbered. I'm not surprised by this. Like, people, like, you, something you, you can just look at and be like, yeah, he's going to fuck somebody up. Like, I said the same thing about this weekend's fight, uh, Nico Price against Alan Japan. I didn't understand why Nico Price was underdog. I was like, have you watched this guy fight? He fucks people up. Same thing <laughs> with, like, Mike Perry when he beat up Jake Ellenberger. People are like, Ellenberger? I was just like, no. You watch Mike Perry, he fucks people up. And you can't really plan for guys who come in there and just knock people out. It takes a lot of tape so you can start seeing tendencies. But new guys, when they come in, and it's something that's indicative all the way through in the UFC, if you always watch – New knockout artists have great success for, like, the first five fights. Then people start figuring them out and finding out what they don't like to do. Because there's not not enough film if you just knock people the hell out for a while. Exactly. Manawa came in there against a guy who people didn't know a whole lot about, but he was knocking people out. And Manawa thought he could walk in there, knock people out, probably thinking about fighting David Hay or somebody else, and got fucked up. So that's what he gets. So maybe he would have learned from that Rumble fight. You know, no, probably not. But maybe Manuel gets his fight with Daniel Cormier now. If Cormier chooses to stick around the light heavyweight, maybe. Possibly. I didn't. Cormier might retire. I don't even know. What else? Why go back down? I See, man, Cormier is, again, it's like not only did you lose, but you got knocked out. And to have one person in the – like no matter where you go, John's going to be right there. Yeah. If, if you go to heaven, if he's like, look, Kane, you're never going to fight again because you've been injured. Like, it's your fault I'm down here in the first fucking place, and now you don't fight. So, like, if you go up to heavyweight, John's like, hey, guys, I'm going up to heavyweight too. And it's like, fuck. Like, what do I do now? Um, one other thing I want to say about John Jones before we move on. Do you find his statements about Cormier being a great man disingenuous, or do you think that he really means the shit that he says? I will never again in my life believe John Jones. Okay. Ever again in my life. Listen, he came off sincere. That was one of the best acting jobs I've seen in a long time in combat sports. If I was a novice, if I was a casual to the sport, I would have been heartfelt. It would have touched me. Like, yo, this guy actually has changed look at him he's learned from his mistakes he's a family man he has his little girls running around the octagon during fight week he comes out he thanks cormier for being a role model and a father and he looks up to him i know the guy that when the camera turns off he says hey you there pussy i'm not forgetting that guy i remember the real john jones i remember him walking through fuck if i know new mexico with ariel arm in arm saying i'm so sorry and then goes and pops for dick pills. Probably because he had cocaine dick the week of the fight. Like, no, I know John Jones. I don't believe it at all. Now, you can be better at hiding shit. You can take some acting classes. You got a lot of time to kill the year that you're out. 
<laughs> like, it's not hard to get an acting coach and make regular-ass people believe you. I don't believe a word of it. Okay. I, I'm in total agreement here. I think it's very disingenuous. And, you know, to quote uh, the great Jay-Z, he's not John, he's OJ. Okay. Because this dude is OJ Simpson. I, I don't buy it. Like, he just said in like, some interview where he's talking about black fighters need to stick together. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not buying any of this. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't buy it. I buy that shit at all. All right. So now that we got John Jones out of here and the farce that he is, it's time to talk about wrestling. Let's start off with a G1, right? Because I feel like you missed a shit ton of G1. I missed a lot. I've caught up. There's no G1 the next two days. So I'm going to rewatch some stuff that I feel I had on in the background. Um, but we're about to, what, we're headed into the semis. Shit's getting real. Like there's two more matches and then the finals, right? So I, cut, I qualify this as the semis. And we know who the hell is going to win in the B. Well, only two people can win in the B bracket. The A is still kind of wide open. Wait, I like wait, wait. how they've built this. Don't talk too much because I'm, I'm on like day 12 right now. Oh, so shit. don't spoil anything okay. after day 12. All right, all right, all right. Hold on. So we won't, <laughs> we, we won't completely, but next week we'll go over it more in detail. It's How about this? We'll do hypotheticals. No match stuff. If you guys haven't watched it, go back and watch it. Some good matches. Um, what's your favorite match so far that you watched? Ooh, that's tough. Um, night one, Naito and Ibushi was amazing. Uh, just about, look, Ishii has been fucking amazing in this tournament. Even when he's losing, Ishii has been amazing. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what my favorite, my favorite match. I don't know. Evil and Sonata was great. Um, Jesus. I don't know. I don't. I, I honestly don't know. Wow. You know what? You know what? Right now, if you put a gun to my head and made me answer this, I'd say the Michael Elgin Kazusha Okada match might be my favorite because that ending stretch, I swore Elgin was going to beat him. I swore it. Might be my favorite match. Now, Big Mike did have a good, good show in that match. It's um, tough. It is tough. I'm going to go and. Man, it's tough, but I think Abushi's the MVP uh, of this tournament so far in my mind. I'll go with day 11, Abushi Tanahashi is my favorite match. That was really good. And you know what was really good about it is the fact that my favorite part about this is very subtly when Tanahashi wrestles where somebody else that he, he knows he's a favorite because that was Abushi's backyard, Tanahashi becomes a dick. He was a heel, and right? Great. Like heel yeah. Tanahashi is like heel John Cena. Like, it's when you get a little bit of that old school, like, hip-hop John Cena still. I love that shit. Yeah. And he doesn't that, get to do that. I mean, what? It was the second go-around for him versus Okada, where he was kind of the heel. And Okada was still the yeah. up-and-comer. And, -comer, and uh, people were kind of rooting for Okada to win. And they broke his heart at Wrestle Kingdom. Yep. Um, I, I, I love that. That stretch is probably my favorite stretch. Even though their third go-around and the match was incredible and five stars, blah, blah, blah. I like the second storytelling better. When Tanahashi was like, I know I'm good. I'm like Super Cena. He's not going to beat me. He's not going to crush me. I don't care what you fans want. And he's the young pretty boy you're rooting for. I'm going to just break his dreams. And that's the, the Tanahashi I got. And that was great. He's not going to carry that narrative into anything. But it's nice to get a glimpse. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's this gray area in in New Japan where they allow the faces to become heels in certain places, like when you watch Okada wrestle, um, 
Naito, for instance, and, and Naito's just over with a lot of people. And Okada does dick shit. He was a dick against Nagata, might have been. Like Okada, like there, there's a lot of gray area. It's just been great storytelling. I mean, even though like the only true heel faction in New Japan, like I know Los and Cobrenables, they opponent is heels with Naito in them, but it's really Suzuki Gun. Like, Minoru Suzuki is a dick, and they always interfere with El Desperado interfering in every match, and Zack Sabre Jr. is part of that. They're, they're the only true heel faction, but everything else is shades of gray, and I, I enjoy that aspect of it because it gives a different dynamic in every match. Um, but this I mean, tournament... I would qualify Naito as a true heel, even though I'm, I mean, I'm super hype on Naito, so I can understand why crowds pop for him, but still, like, he does heel shit. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a... Their crew see, is dope. Bullet Club is no longer heels. They're a face faction. Well, no, they're the super. But I mean, Los Encarnados is like you look at that crew. Lij is, of course, you have uh, Naito, but you have Evil. But then you have Sonata, who I, I've been on high on Sonata for like at least well, two years when he made his uh, when he made his debut when he came over from Noah. And Sonata looks like a superstar. The dude's like six four, muscular. He got a unique look. And then he does like high. He has like a, a great moonsault and a dragon <coughs> sleeper, but um, but they're over like with Bushi. Like they're those guys are kind of over with the fans, and they they're like the um, Naito reminds me of like Stone Cold in the sense that he's really an in betweener. Like if you say if you made Naito fight a bunch of heels, he'd be a babyface. But but he got the same personality. Yeah, doesn't care about the IC title. Doesn't care about anything. He just comes here to win, and he sees like all the corruption, like the eye shit. But um. As a whole, I mean, yeah, this tournament, it's always been good. It's the best thing in professional wrestling. And if you're not, not watching and you're sitting around watching WWE, shame on you. Because been, I've been saying this shit for, since this podcast has started. Um, anybody who asks me, I say the same thing. New Japan is head and shoulders above WWE. And there's in-ring storytelling is phenomenal. And it's $10. Let's go. $10. Just don't get fast food one day. It's $10. Yeah, um, too. It's not that hard. No. And then uh, let's talk about WWE before I got to get back to work here at the station. Um, man, let's see. Where to start? We're prepping for <laughs> SummerSlam. I, I broke it down into SmackDown and Raw. So let's start with SmackDown, and we'll do a quick like run-through of it. Next week, we'll get more in-depth. Um, Cena returns, kind of. I mean, we all thought Cena was going to get the push, right? Mr. America versus Jinder Mahal. And yeah. shit went left. Knock pulled the upset. And now we get Knock versus Gender, and I don't know what to think. I don't... Man, I feel like SmackDown as a whole is painting themselves into a corner, right? It's like they had the triple threat when Jericho came back for one night because I feel like they botched that finish at Battleground with AJ and Owens. Um, and they went in there and they, they flipped the title back to AJ. But it's like that was your high point. That was like your pay-per-view match. But no, we're going to end up doing this again at SummerSlam with Shane McMahon as the ref, right? You had a Nakamura-John Cena match on SmackDown. Why? I mean, right? that I was a good match, I like, right? Was, I, mean, I mean, it was a good match, but that's a moneymaker. Like, that's a that's like when Stone Cold walked on Brock Lesnar for King of the Ring. A little bit different because it was, it was unannounced. But it's like, why are you doing it like with three weeks before the pay-per-view? And then what makes it worse is Nakamura doesn't even do shit on SmackDown this week. So yeah. there's like no heat between Nakamura and Jinder Mahal. So I didn't, I didn't really get it. I don't know what they're doing. Like I feel like the writers aren't pacing anything properly. Well, no, now they're it's just sped up. They're on the, they're on the treadmill now. Because yeah. I mean, they have two weeks to build a feud to main event for your main title. 
uh, unless they spent the past two months building, you know, Knock versus Corbin for Corbin to cash in, then you and spent I, your time wisely. See, and I don't feel like they're working towards a Corbin cash in now. I feel like the way that they've been booking this. If Corbin like, loses to Cena, I can see him losing and then cashing in later in the night. But do you think he cashes in on Nakamura? Yeah, I think Nak wins and then he cashes in on Nakamura and you continue the feud with Corbin as champion. See, I think that buries Nakamura, in my humble opinion. Like, no, I, I, think, I if, think you can have Nak win the title outright, start celebrating, Corbin sneak in from the crowd, hit end of days, give the briefcase, another end of days, take the title and run off, and Nak doesn't look weak. He got sneak attacked. And Nak yeah, goes and he wins it next month or the month after. I guess my problem with this more than anything else is that Corbin sucks, and you, <laughs> and you, you go can't do from shit about that. What, what I know, you say? but but you, to go from Jinder Mahal carrying the title because I, I feel like Corbin is either might have to cost Nakamura the title more so than like because everybody kind of feels like Nakamura is going to win the title because he's better than Jinder Mahal. But when you really think about it, there's nothing built towards the SummerSlam feud. For gender to just lose, because gender's nothing without the title. Let's be very clear about this. Gender loses the title. He's nobody. Nobody cares anymore. He kind of has to win this match against Nakamura by hook or crook. Because it's not the main event. It's not, it's not the top build card on SummerSlam. It's all about the Fatal 4-Way. That's the only match that I actually really care about. Because nothing else in this card. This might be one of the worst SummerSlam cards I've ever seen. Damn. Well, it's gonna, that's good. Whenever you enter with these expectations, you leave somewhat happy. Because your expectations are so low. Maybe. But my yeah. point is, is... How are you not hyped for Styles Owens? Because I've seen it. It's been overdone and all the finishes have been shit. Like, I think Owens Styles, if, it didn't, if I didn't see this thing like four or five times already, like, I'd be hype about it. The injection of Shane McMahon makes me feel like we're about to head towards another bullshit finish. Yeah, I and agree with that. And that in itself hurts the match because Styles Owens main eventing any card is something that you should be interested in. But once you start putting a bunch of shenanigans in it, it takes away from the actual match and what it could be. So, And then it's – again, it's like going back to Owens and Jericho, what they could have done if they main evented WrestleMania versus what they ended up doing fighting for the United States title. So they're fighting for a lower card in a super jam-packed card at SummerSlam. They're probably going to wrestle somewhere in the middle of the card, and they, they, I don't think they're going to get the time that they need to do the match that, they, that we should get, right? Like, yeah. Because you've got to devote time elsewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm not hyped, man. I'm there's not like hyped about 12, it. 12 matches on this card, so there's definitely no time. Like It's too goddamn long, man. And it, I don't know how you manage to get 12 matches in. But you still have a bunch of like there's a bunch of dumb matches. Get the liquor and, ready because I'm going to be sauced. We're there for like eight hours. Yeah, I'm. Just, I'm saying it's a long day, and I don't know, man. And more like I would like like the Miz doesn't have a match right now, which we'll talk about raw in a second. There, I, I know that people are critical about throwing guys into a multi-man match, but I feel like this this pay per view needs like a ladder match of some sort. Yeah, because like, I mean, no Charlotte for the women's side, no Miz. Um, to my knowledge, no Sami Zayn, no, no Hardy Boys. Shit's just kind of nope. in disarray. It's it's bad. So anyway, what were we talking about? We started off talking about what John Cena. Is that yeah, where we started? Yeah. No, we we got we're moving briskly through through the cards. Um, the Usos versus the New Day. I'm still into the feud. I like the Usos. I think the Usos have done a great job. I wouldn't um, mind them winning it back, winning the titles back. I'm sure that's not the plans, either. but. 
you know, I, I like what they're doing. I like, you know, still the fashion police shit has been hilarious, even though I don't think they get to wrestle the Ascension at SummerSlam, but that's been funny. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd like to see the Usos go over. I think the Usos are, like, the New Day chasing the titles is a little bit more interesting. But somewhere in this feud, the Usos are going to have to either injure somebody in the New Day or get somebody else. Because I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, dude, it's three on two. You can't fucking win. Like, that, there's a problem here. Or the Usos, like, find somebody to help you. Because it's three on two. Yeah. It's just it's the Freebird world rule. But, yo, like, K fave this. It's three on two. Like, the New Day should never lose. They should always find a way to cheat to win. All right. Let's uh, see about Raw then. Raw, Fatal 4-Way. Everyone's hyped about the Fatal 4-Way. You don't think Brock is losing a belt. I think he drops it. We all want Samoa Joe, which means it's not going to happen. And that leaves Roman Reigns. And yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm not going out on a limb anymore, right? I always do the, oh, Finn Balor's going to be the Royal Rumble guy, or this is going to happen. I'm done predicting really cool shit for the WWE to just smile and laugh and give us bullshit. Um, but if they wanted to do something cool, they'd have Rollins and um, Ambrose win the tag team titles, come out later, you know, just fucking crush everyone. Crush Lesnar, put Lesnar through the triple power bomb spot, and have Roman Reigns win the title, and all three of them are champions, and we have the Shield heel reunion. But the WWE isn't cool, so fuck that. <laughs> well, there's two reasons why that won't happen. And look, people are gonna be like, because Vince really? is alive, he has a heartbeat. No, I don't even think it's necessarily. It's it's that, but it's not necessarily that. And for one, I completely agree with you on this. This is one of the few things that I will say that I 100%. If they haven't didn't botch how they've handled Ambrose and Rollins. And I know some people like this, but I kind of hate how they've done this. And I've hated how they've done Rollins since he came back. But this would be the way to go. The problem with it is the WWE has so much invested as Roman Reigns as a single star that they can't do it. Right? It's like they can't really do a Shield reunion because then it's the Shield and it's not like Roman Reigns and the Shield. It's the Shield. They want Roman Reigns to stand on his own as a single competitor. It's not Tag working. Team. It's not working. No, it's it's not. It's not. But well, it is working because he does draw. He still has the most heat out of anybody. I'm in not the sure company. if he draws. He has the most heat. He draws. Those women and children come to see Roman Reigns. Yeah, his house show numbers are pretty shitty. There's also a reason why John Cena's a free agent and probably going back to Raw after this. Well, I think the move to go is Roman Reigns versus John Cena at WrestleMania. However. You can only do it if you turn Roman Reigns completely full-blown heel. Because to put Roman Reigns over on John Cena after putting Roman Reigns over on The Undertaker, like, it just, you can't, it doesn't work as a babyface because it's not really going to put him over. People, it's, it's really ramming him down our throats. But, this, yeah, the Fatal 4-Way, look, Strowman crushing Reigns with that office chair was beautiful, right? <laughs> and, like, you Samoa You want to arm pitch that shit, too. Yo, that was crazy. Samoa Joe jumping up to choke Roman Reigns, that was excellent. Everything about this has been handled excellent. But yeah, I I ideally think like the in terms of like the most indestructible guys in that fatal four way, like Strowman and, and Lesnar are like one and two. The two guys that you just can't beat one on one. Then it's like Reigns and then Samoa Joe, based on booking. Which means that Roman Reigns should need some help to to, to win, which means that it should make sense for Ambrose and Rollins to come in and make this happen. It's not, it's not going to happen though. Um, and we'll just have to deal with it. No shield, no real shield reunion, but the crowd was hot for it. The crowd is hot for a shield reunion. Oh, super hot. Instantly it pulled Roman Reigns out of that pit that he's in. And if he's healed, you at least keep the booze going. So that, yeah, like if you turn like 
there's a I feel like there's a way to handle this. You can have Rollins and Ambrose be healed, like turn heel to help Roman Reigns. I don't know how you do this, but it's not be, the seeds haven't been planted properly. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um what else before we get out of here? Miz not defending the belt. We talked about Neville versus Tazawa. I think it's going to be one of the better matches of the night. Um that won't disappoint. Uh, Sasha kill two five five. Sasha steps in for Bailey who got booed and damn near cried on stage. So way to go. I mean, Alexa Bliss and, and Sasha have had like a great little social media feud. There's more heat in that feud than there is with Bailey and Alexa. And we already saw Bailey and Alexa. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're good on that. Sasha, Sasha still doesn't have a win on a big stage. Can we give her the title? Can we give her her moment? Probably not. Shit, probably um, not. Uh, and then Finn versus Wyatt, the last thing. Uh, can we? Okay, two things. Points <laughs> up Finn, Finn and Wyatt, because I'll, I'll leave Finn and Wyatt to the end. One. This is the end. Well, this. I mean, this is the end. But Enzo, they. Oh Enzo's, shit! Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Sorry. Yeah, this this has been the worst thing I've I've watched. This has been so sad to watch him and Cass break up, and they're going to do this shark cage match. Like, and you have Big Show. Like, all this is bad, 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 and it makes me feel like Enzo and Cass won't be here much longer because neither of them are over. Yeah, I like mean, Enzo's, if they don't Enzo's get back together, chemistry. they have no hope. Like, what if you know? This has been a ruse to beat up the Big Show, and Enzo helps Cass, and they're back together as heels. Oh, that's perfect, then. Perfect. That, that, All worth that it. Could, All worth it. Won't happen. But anyway. You're um, too smart for the room. That's why You're too smart for the room. We got to okay. think like Vince. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this Bray Wyatt-Finn Balor feud? Oh, man. Uh, it's all a, a, a hoax to see the demon, right? I thought this was going to be the first way they introduced the demon Instead, they put him against Rollins and kind of wasted it on a regular Raw. But now we haven't seen it in a year. They kind of wanted people to forget about the demon. And they're playing up against the you know supernatural character that they have. I'm okay with it. I think Finn goes over. I think it's a one-off. But I think you put Finn back over a guy who was just a champion not too long ago. Upper mid card guy. And then you say, Finn, we've got to fit you back into the, the top card. And I'm hearing rumblings about another shakeup. I think Finn is a guy who's primed to go to SmackDown and carry a real title. Um, Because on Raw, I don't think you're getting a title away from Strowman, Reigns, maybe Samoa Joe. If you put another strong guy over there like an Owens, he can survive in that picture. Finn can't. There's monsters there. Um, He can do so in in SmackDown. So I think we might see that change over. But even with that being said, I think this is a good guy to just give him a boost. This is why it is, right? He's enhanced with talent. They threw him a bone by letting him be champion, but he's enhancement talent. Yeah, like I agree. I think Finn needs to go to SmackDown. I think there's no there's no room for him on Raw. No. My problem with Finn this, Gallows this... Anderson, get your ass to SmackDown and let's just bullet club it up. Yeah. So my problem with this feud is I don't give a shit. And Bray, like this whole superpower, supernatural <coughs> thing has, has been it's been really hokey. Like when Balor appeared with his back turned to wide and all like it's been really hokey. And this is the one-year anniversary of Finn debuting as a demon, right? SummerSlam, he did that last SummerSlam. Yep. Why are we not even, like, we don't even know why the demon is important, right? Aside from it looks really cool, why is it needed in this particular feud? There's, there's been nothing mentioned about why Finn Balor's alter ego that comes out only in the big shows is needed to beat Bray Wyatt, whose gimmick, it's is you know the mystical magical power shit so 
I, I think they've really dropped the ball on setting us up. Like, it'd be great if they had, like, Bray Wyatt just destroy Finn Balor for, like, four weeks. And then we have a reason to see the demon. But when Finn Balor's getting the upper hand on, on Wyatt without the demon, it just seems stupid. Like, it's just like, all right, cool. Well, we know the demon is coming, but the, what is the demon? Does the demon wrestle any different? Does the demon do different shit? That's like, what he what? needs. He needs to use uh, the bloody Sunday finish when he's the demon. I don't want to see the coup de grace. Yeah, it, like it has to be like him being the demon needs to be something like malicious, because the re- right? Like a dark side. Yeah, like you got to actually have a dark side. Like rake some eyes, fucking cut people's legs down, do something. Yeah, like like you have it has to be different. Like if you just come out as a demon and wrestle the same goddamn match, and more importantly, this really pertains to him facing Bray Wyatt. Any other person, I'd be like, all right, cool. We know the demon comes out of big pay per views, but the whole Bray Wyatt thing is about like spooky mystique superpowers house of horrors dumb shit if they did a jekyll and hyde like a real jekyll and hyde shit where like finn has like a twitch and then you just see like and he's just slowly turning like hulking out and then the demon comes and the demon's like really like fucking possessed status and he's like a heel and finn's just like yo i can't control it like it's like his inner heel and does like dastardly shit that'd be great like, just give me something. That's my point. Give me something. Give me a reason to and care about Valor becoming the demon. That is how you can get a Bullet Club reunion. Because if you show, like, oh, he has a heel hidden inside, and then he actually goes full heel, you'd just be like, oh, he'd be like, the demon won. It took over me. And then you can put him in a heel faction. Yeah. And, and then and snap yeah. him out of it whenever the fuck you want to turn him face again. And, and again, you, to reiterate what you said, send his ass to SmackDown. Because Balor versus Styles, Balor versus Nakamura, Balor versus Zayn, Balor versus Owens. Yes, we've seen a lot of this shit in NXT. I get it. I'm ready for Balor, it <laughs> Yeah, Balor versus Cena. Like, dude, I'll take all of those matches over just about everything you can toss at him on Raw. Because Balor in Raw, it's like, for a lot of people, it may not even be believable. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause he's he's such a small guy, yeah. and I get it. Daniel Bryan did it, but I feel like they've even cooled on Balor and Raw because they don't know where to put him because they got four monsters in there right now. Exactly, and he's better than a mid card guy. So, uh, man, that's been our show. Welcome back. We're, yeah, we did it again. We're gonna be recording earlier in the week, Tuesday or Wednesday, so you get this fire early in the week again. We're back on it. It's gonna be one hell of a summer. Um, working towards Mayweather McGregor. We have Canelo, which I just put in the. Press credentials for Canelo versus Triple G coming up, which hasn't gotten any pub. So we got to talk about that shit too. SummerSlam, G1 finals, everything's just bombarding us. So thank you guys for, you know, sticking through our little hiatus. We are back. Until next time, though, we're out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.